Welcome to the Multifamily Five, where industry experts provide raw information about how they are achieving success in the current market conditions. And now, your host, Dallas-based real estate broker, Mark Allen. And welcome to the Multifamily Five. Today, excited to have our very own Jeff Bergfechtel with GREA. Jeff, how's it going? Great. Thanks for having me, Mark. Awesome. Well, Jeff's been a part of our team for, Jeff, how long now? Over three years. Yeah, five now. The years go by quickly. Really? Man, they do go by quickly. Um, Well, Jeff has really, really found his niche. He's been an investor in uh, commercial assets um, in particular. We're going to talk about triple net today, what that is, uh, why you would buy a triple net deal, and uh, maybe some case studies and and how Jeff is helping our clients two to three X their cash flow. So look forward to diving into this. Jeff, if you want to go ahead, kick it off with where you grew up where you went to school, and how you got to where you're at today. Thanks. Yeah, well, I grew up in Wisconsin, and you can still hear that in my voice, the Wisconsin, but uh, went to school at Notre Dame and ended up down in Dallas, which is fabulous. Been down here for about 12 years now. Uh, I am a 20-year trial lawyer, so uh, I've only been brokering full-time the last five years, although I have been managing my own personal portfolio for a long time. So it's exciting to be brokering full time. And I specialize in the what I will call triple nets, but really it's all commercial real estate other than multifamily. So the non multifamily commercial real estate world. And uh, it, it's, it's a very fun and exciting area. And I'm, I'm glad to be able to help clients doing it. Well, great. Well, even some of my clients have asked, what the heck is a triple net uh, that are multifamily, sophisticated multifamily investors? So, Jeff, what is a triple net? And I guess what asset classes are in, or have triple net leases? Well, yeah, a, a triple net is just a, a badly used term. Honestly, it's like a, what is a B property? Uh, it's a little bit different for everybody. But technically, the three N's stand for a property where your NOI is net of taxes. That's the first N. Second N is net of insurance. And the third N is net of common area maintenance or CAM expenses. But as we all know, there's really about 50 different bills or things that could come into play. And according to the lease, those will all either be the responsibility of a landlord or a tenant. So cramming that into one of those three N's is a little bit art, not 100% science. But in its truest sense, a true triple net is one where the rent, which is your income, is also your NOI because all of those other expenses fall into one of the three ends and are reimbursed by the tenant. It's pretty typical that a landlord in a triple net lease will usually cover roof and structure. Is that correct? Yes. So that would technically be somewhere around a 2N plus. You'll sometimes see most people will still call it a triple net because the repairs and maintenance of the roof fall under common area maintenance. And it's only the ultimate CapEx expense of a full roof replacement Um, or the building falling over that falls on the landlord. However, you'll also see the term absolute triple net, which is 
what we use when we want to signify that the landlord is not even responsible for that. And you would see that most typically, for example, with a restaurant because they don't want the landlord to come in and fix the roof because that roof has to be the exact color of the corporate structure, et cetera. They want to control every facet of the building. So that's what's referred to as an absolute triple net. Okay. And great. And I think why I like triple net um, is typically, even if you're covering roof and structure, you don't have the same capital expenses uh, ongoing as you would a multifamily. You're not, you're not fixing uh, toilets all the time. So, uh, which would be at a below the line expense. And obviously, you know, it's below the line, but eats at your cash flow. So uh, with that, I guess, why would an investor buy a triple net property? You know, there's really three main types of investors. There's there's three kind of main reasons. One is, um, frankly, people that that I sometimes refer to as aging out. Um, I'm old enough to have run my own multifamilies for a long time. And after a while, you get to the point where you want to kind of retire a little bit or step back. But you need to stay in the real estate game, obviously. You certainly want all the tax benefits. I want the step up in basis, et cetera. But you don't want the day-to-day headaches and hassle that can come with a traditional multifamily property. So that, of course, makes up one category of the investor. They just have decided that I can transition to a different type of commercial real estate, stay in the game, but not have to manage it as much day-to-day. The... uh, the, the second type are, are people that, that just want some diversity or balance in their portfolio. Um, we all have stock portfolios or we've all watched seminars where every, everybody that's ever given a seminar in a stock portfolio says you got to have diversity. You've got to have balance. You want some bonds in your stock portfolio. Well, triple nets are like the bonds in a multifamily portfolio because the rents are set for the next five, 10 years or more. They're laid out. They're consistent. They're paid usually by huge corporations. Um, and so you can generate income starting in month one, and it slowly goes up, marches along nice and consistent. Over time, multifamily, yeah, will in most instances outperform a triple net. But that's because it requires more work and has more um, variability to it. Um, so people that want that consistency, which also plays back to the age part, because you get to a certain age and maybe you want more consistency in your cash flow. Um, and then the, the last group is something that has been really uh, a growing segment in the last few years, certainly kind of since covid and it's, it's the group where, where they have extra money in their war chest in relation to bandwidth because you don't want that money sitting doing nothing. You're going backwards. You'd like to get it in real estate where you're going forward, but you don't necessarily have the bandwidth to take on yet another fix and flip or yet another multifamily property. So you can use it to uh, fill that extra cash in your coffers while you don't have the bandwidth. Or maybe it's people have day jobs too. And again, don't have the bandwidth, but have the extra money and want it deployed in real estate. 
makes a lot of sense. Thanks for sharing that. Uh, what's going on in the world of commercial real estate? When I say commercial real estate, really talking industrial, retail, and office. Um, and I know you probably do more retail than you do maybe some of the other asset classes. But I know that's kind of a broad question. But generally, what's going on as far as demand, cap rates, uh, inventory, so on and so forth? So, you know, it's been very interesting. Everybody assumes that, uh, uh, it, you know, interest rates on borrowing went up by 200 basis points. So the cap rates should have gone up by 200 bips as well. And, you know, that makes sense, except it's not what's happening. And part of the reason is that across the board, across all commercial real estate, um, returns are getting compressed a little bit compared to a few years back. Um, but that's because it's still the strongest horse in the race, meaning you don't invest or not invest in real estate because of how it's doing now as compared to returns that you would get five years ago. You invest in real estate now because it makes sense as compared to the other investments you could make now. And the reality is, is that even though returns aren't quite as good as they were a few years back when interest rates were effectively zero, the returns are still better than the alternatives. And you have all the huge benefits of all the tax breaks, which make a very substantial difference. People don't fully understand. They think, well, that only comes into play if I'm on a 1031 and, I, and I'm going to buy something else. And while clearly that is a big piece that's not the whole piece. There are so many ways through accelerated depreciation and other methods to uh, make your return significantly higher in real estate than anything else. So um, we're seeing a lot of um, uh, differences in those asset classes you mentioned. Um, certainly office, for example, um, you know, let's be honest, it, it's not the most popular classification right now to invest in. There are people buying them, but they're looking very long-term and uh, are willing to suffer through some early um, low returns to buy value and expect that eventually they will fill back up. There's beautiful office buildings that can be purchased at very low price per square foot. So I, I didn't want to say good deals because whether it's a good deal or not, but price per foot is is definitely lower than it used to be. Um, uh, you know, retail centers, um, everyone thought, oh, Amazon's going to just wipe those all out. You know, that's not really true. And that hasn't happened. And the reality is, is that while certainly some shops are not Amazon resistant, and some of them did get wiped out there's most of the growth in our country right now has come from small businesses. And most of those small businesses end up in some type of small retail center and small retail center leases tend to grow and come up for renewal more frequently than a restaurant or, or heavy industrial lease less frequently than a apartment. So it's kind of like a halfway in between from multifamily to a restaurant with a 20-year lease. And that can allow your returns to grow with inflation and track inflation better. So a lot of people have been considering and looking at uh, small retail centers. Uh, plus, they come with their own diversity built in because you've got a handful of tenants rather than just one. 
And um, yeah, I forget which other class we I mean, this commercial real estate is so broad that I could go on forever, but that's kind of the main classifications and, and what I've seen in the last few months. Okay. Yeah. Generally, I think just like every other piece of commercial real estate, cap rates have, have also increased, uh, you know, the cost of capital has increased. So, you know, those, uh, cash on cash returns are, you know, maybe not as high as they used to be, um, at least in the near term. You know, that that's true. Um, uh, the, the days of getting, uh, uh, bank debt at, at three and a half percent, uh, with, a with, a. 525 or 1025 term um, are, are not going to be back for a while, I think. But cap rates have grown to cover a lot of that difference, um, not all of it. Um, so the reality is, is that the spread between your interest rate or cost of capital and the cap rate um, is not as great. And that means that levering up to the max, trying to get a 75% LTV loan or even an 80% as some of my clients used to try to do, it's no longer as advantageous unless you're focused on the total return as opposed to the cash on cash returns um, because it's just the, the, the debt constant is, is high right now. Now, the upside is that pretty much all the debt that is used on these type of deals is easily replaceable, no prepay bank debt. So you're getting debt at competitive terms and you can flip out of it at any point in time. And yet you're buying at a cap rate that is higher than it's been in a long time because interest rates are higher. So it can be a good time to buy, but um, the first 12 months is is not going to be as good as it was three years ago when when interest rates were effectively zero or two years ago. It brings up a question. I mean, you talk a little bit about debt, but generally, and I know this is probably going to depend on asset, you know, uh, asset uh, type and quality and location and the borrower, but generally like, you know, give a range. What, what are general terms today? Um, you know, as far as amortization rates, terms, so on and so forth. Sure. For, any of my clients that have a reasonably strong balance sheet, you know, have, have other assets. And, and that's really most of the people that have been coming from multifamily, et cetera. Um, you know, if they have just a reasonably strong balance sheet, the terms we're getting on, say, retail centers right now range from, I just got quoted four days ago, 575 interest rate with a, uh, 10 year, 30, uh, a, a 1030 loan. So, so 10 year term, 30 year amortization. Now that uh, gentleman did get some favorable pricing because he's doing 50% down, which is very high. Um, most people are levered at a 60 to 65% LTV. Um, and at that point, you're usually adding about 15 bips to the best case scenario. Um, but most of the terms right now are between 585 and 62. A few states like Michigan are a little higher, but um, most of them down in the south. Figure six with a with a 1025 term, and you're going to be right in the middle of the of the bell shaped curve. Okay, so Jeff, how are you helping 
uh, real estate investors uh, and specifically some of our clients? Uh, or how are you different in this space from maybe some of the other brokers in the triple net community? Yeah, I, I'm actually very different um, because in most cases, I, I dare say in virtually all cases, investors are pretty much left on their own to figure out and vet deals and determine whether it's right for them and, and hopefully figure out the good, the bad, and the ugly to every deal. And, and that's true across all asset classes, whether it's multifamily, whether it's triple nets or industrial office, et cetera. Uh, my function is actually very different in that I am never trying to sell my listing. I am always working with a client to help them determine what assets, both class, quality, returns, location, what works best for them, where they will feel the most comfortable, where they will have the returns that they're looking for. Um, I'm never trying to sell my own assets or my own listings. So my interests are always 100% aligned with my client. Now, clearly, I'm still being paid by the seller, but it's very clear. Trek allows this everything. That does not mean I have any loyalties to them. It's merely disclosed that they're the ones paying my fee as a standard, uh, a standard fee split. But I am 100% aligned with the client. So I work very closely with them. We'll build portfolios in most cases of multiple assets. So we have additional diversity built in. Uh, I work with them on the locations that they like and that they should be considering. And I, I can really help them when we go through and start looking at properties because while they have a lot of intelligence and skill and have been very successful in business, they bring all that knowledge to the table. But I can bring a lot of data points that simply aren't cost effective for them to have because I do it as my day job and also a tremendous amount of experience both personally and as well as helping others. And between us, we can usually make very, very sound financial decisions. Um, uh, I know clients are sometimes uh, amazed because they used to just buy things. Well, they liked the picture and they thought the location was good. And then I will start doing a deep dive on a property and I'll tell them, well, I get that, but did you realize that this store has fewer customers than all the other stores in this class for it take a dollar general? This dollar general is the ranked 160th out of 175 in Texas or whatever the case may be based upon number of people walking in and various data points that I can bring from third party sources that aren't reliant on the seller to maybe have massaged the numbers, et cetera. And we can add all of those things into an analysis. Um, I, I look at everything from population to crime stats to, um, foot traffic reports, et cetera, when helping a client vet a deal and decide whether it makes sense to add to their portfolio. Yeah, that's great. Jeff, is, uh, we, we've uh, swung and missed on two deals, unfortunately. Um, and uh, I ended up buying another property, a vacation rental. And uh, we'll see if that was a good decision or not. But anyways, it's uh, Jeff's good to have on your side. He really knows the space well, especially when it's not your 
your day to day. So, uh, like I said, he's been a huge help to my clients who uh, are, are very happy with Jeff, and he's helped them. You know, a lot of times, two to three x their cash flow. Uh, and uh, I know that's a little more difficult. I mentioned that to find that double digit cash on cash returns with, you know, with the cost of capital uh, rising. But Jeff, can you share some some case studies? Uh, maybe both a very recent one and maybe something in years past, a, a good story that you like? Yeah. I mean, in most cases, uh, if a client that's coming to me that say has just sold a multifamily property, um, in most cases, I'm able to take what their equity was from that property, which will of course have affected their cash on cash returns because more debt, more debt service, et cetera. But Whatever their cash on cash dollar amount return was on the sale of that property, I will usually be able to put together a portfolio where we increase that cash on cash return by between 50 and 150% just on the cash on cash. And at the same time, take the total returns because we're usually using, well, we're always using some debt still because we would have to if it was a 1031. Um, and take their total returns and be two and three xing them. Again, it does differ depending upon the client because some clients want to take a ultra conservative approach. Um, other clients, we actually have significantly higher cash on cash returns because we will um, structure the debt and properties in such a fashion where we're maximizing the cash on cash returns. You know, we'll, we'll strive for longer bank debt, et cetera, to increase cash on cash returns. So we do try to lay out a portfolio and a plan with each client that makes sense for them. But in every case, I've been able to increase their returns while decreasing their bandwidth, effort, and stress. That's awesome. Uh, Jeff, we're going to go ahead and wrap up, but thanks so much for sharing some insight on triple net assets. What's the best way for listeners to get in touch with you? Uh, it's really easy. My last name's way too long. Um, so my, my email is just jeff.b as in boy, jeff.b at grea.com. So email me anytime. Um, uh, I'll respond back right away. Then you can call, text or whatever. I'm, I'm very available. Love to talk. Awesome. To awesome. Well, thanks again, Jeff. I appreciate your time as always. And, uh, and thank you so much for the insight into triple net assets and how an investor can capitalize on them. Thanks. It was great speaking with you.